Um, if you've got your Bibles with you, I, I want you to turn to Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13. It's kind of the heart of what we'll be talking about today and looking at as we look at the, Jesus, at the ministry of Jesus. And as we kind of ask this question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? If you've got your Bibles there, the notes that I've given you, or following along on your phones, however you track um, or read the Word here, this is uh, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 14 here. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Now what's interesting here is that Jesus is traveling and he's traveling with his group of prophets and uh, Matthew records this very intentionally. He records where Jesus is at with some intentionality and he points out where they're at on purpose. He says they're in Caesarea Philippi. Now Caesarea Philippi um, has uh, been a location where people have worshipped someone else other than God for a very long time. If you were to read through the Old Testament, you would discover that the area in which Caesarea Philippi lays is really kind of one of the bedrock and one of the center places in which Baal was worshipped. And the prophets are calling people away from Baal worship over and over again throughout the Old Testament worship. Baal was a sort of type of fertility god, and so people worshipped sex, money, and basically power through Baal. Now, when the Greeks moved into this, re- this region, they had changed a name of this city to Panes, and they worshipped this god named Pan in this region. Later on, as the Romans took it over, Herod, um, Herod Philip, renamed the city after himself and Tiberius Caesar, hence the name Caesar, or Caesarea Philippi. They, too, wanted to receive power and glory and worship for themselves in this place. And so this region and this area was a place of worship. However, it was not a place of worship for the God of the Bible. And Jesus here is asking his disciples as they travel through this place. And by the way, Jesus spent most of his time in like in and out through Judea and Jerusalem, and Israel, and that area. So Jesus actually, he really didn't venture very far from where he grew up, and very far from really the bedrock of Judaism. And so it's, 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 not, it's not an accident that Matthew is pointing out where he's at, and he's asking this question with this backdrop. Like there's all of these people who have no idea who God really is and who isn't worshiping God. And then he asks his disciples, though, those who are close to him, other Jewish followers. He says, he says who, do, who do people say that I am? Now these people, his disciples, seem to kind of ignore the backdrop and don't really uh, uh, acknowledge where they are at or even what the local people uh, might believe whom Jesus is. And they answer, they answer in this way. They answer um, like a Jewish person would. And so they say, well, Jesus, some people think you're John the Baptist or Elijah. And so they kind of throw Jesus in this one category of that, Jesus, you're like a prophet who, some people think you're like the prophet who comes before the ultimate Messiah. Like the, the, you're the person who comes before the person comes or God comes himself. They then say, some people say you're Jeremiah. 
And so by saying that, now Jeremiah was a pretty distinguished prophet in the Old Testament. If, you, if you're reading through your Old Testament, you'll realize that Jeremiah gets a lot of the book. All right? Jeremiah has a lot of words that are put down. Jeremiah, though, was known as the suffering servant. And, and so there's this, Jesus, you're kind of, you would be known as a prophet who has come on behalf of God and who's willing to suffer uh, on behalf of God for the message of God. And, and then he says, well, then others say you're just, you're, you're as any other prophet here. And so Jesus is thrown in a category by others of just basically anybody who speaks on God's behalf who has come before him here. One of the uh, commentators that I was reading as he comments on this, Walter Wessel, he comments that which, with, with each description of Jesus, you've got this inadequate response and it just kind of continues to grow from this great prophet of like John the Baptist or Elijah to maybe a little lesser prophet to somebody like Jeremiah to just kind of anybody who speaks on God's behalf as the other prophets. And so the, the people's views and the disciples' views here say that it just kind of keeps getting lower. There are people who think pretty highly of you, but there are people who think oh, you're just kind of like everyone else here. My question for you this morning as a church is if you were to ask this question kind of to people um, that you know, or in the community, or around you, who do people say Jesus is? Like, what would they, what would they say to you? W- what would be your response to this? Maybe people who are grown up in the church, what would they say? How would they categorize Jesus? Um, and people who have, have never stepped into the doors of a church, what would they say about Jesus? This is a question that Jesus is asking his disciples and his followers at this moment. Now, I, I've given us a list of, of questions to kind of ask ourselves about Jesus this morning. I've given us four, and I'm going to begin with what I believe is kind of the most popular statement probably about Jesus, especially in the United States. And it's this idea that Jesus is a good man. And I, I just want to... That's what happens when you don't have people actually playing these things, I guess. Um, and so this question I, I want to ask or want you to ask yourself, uh, maybe because you're on the fence or you don't know or, or you're trying to figure out what other people believe Jesus is. And it's this question, is, is Jesus a good man? And, and I believe that this is what, just what most people believe about Jesus. I would actually probably argue with you that people who claim that they are Christians, um, uh, this is their primary thought about Jesus. That, that Jesus is primarily a good man. Like, and, and I get it. Like, Jesus is a good man. We know Jesus for, like, the golden rule. You know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Uh, we know that Jesus was basically a, a friend of the friendless, a friend of sinners, a friend of outcasts, that, that Jesus healed the sick, that he loved the poor, that he would sit and he would be with people that you really shouldn't be with. Um, but, but I want us to start thinking this morning, like if this is you or if this is people that you know, I want you to be able to kind of challenge them or even challenge yourself with this thinking because it's not that Jesus wasn't a good man. Like I will never try to convince you that Jesus wasn't a good person or that Jesus wasn't a good man. He was. But if Jesus was primarily just a good man, he had a really weird way of going about being a good person. Right? Because he says some things about himself and he does some things that like, 
if the average person would were to say them to us, like we just wouldn't throw them in the category of like, yeah, he's a, he's a good person, or like, yeah, he's a good man. One of them is actually in this text here. Jesus asks his disciples the question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Here. Now, when we're reading this, we probably, a lot of us probably just skip over this question. We're just, we just kind of maybe put Jesus in this, like, oh, Jesus is, is talking about himself. But the, son, the statement, the Son of Man, here, it's a loaded statement. And Jesus calls himself the Son of Man 80 times, or at least it's recorded 80 times. So he probably called himself more than that, the Son of Man, more than that. Now, what we need to notice about Jesus calling himself the Son of Man, what Jesus is doing is he is referring back to a statement that Daniel makes in the book of Daniel. You see, Daniel is writing about all of these kingdoms that are going to come forth in his book, and he sa- then he has this vision, and in his vision, he says this one person is going to come, and all of these kingdoms are actually going to belong to him. Like, the whole world is going to belong to to the Son of Man. All of these kingdoms, all of the world is going to belong to this one person. I, I, it's in your notes here. I want to show you um, this statement, how loaded this statement is when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. So in Daniel 7, 13 and, verses 13 and 14, Daniel is having a vision, and this is what Daniel says about the Son of Man. He says, as my vision continued that night, as he's seen everything going on and the kingdoms that will be coming. He says, I saw someone like a son of man. Now, if you've got your Bibles or are taking notes there, you might want to write in the margins here. When, like, when he says someone like the son of man, in other words, he says, I see someone who is like a human here, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient one. The ancient one is another, another term for God himself here. So you can write in the margins there. When ancient one is talking about the ancient one, he's talking about God. And was led into his presence. He was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world, so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal, and it will never end. His kingdom will never be restored. So there are four things I want you to see here that Jesus claims when he claims to be the Son of Man. One is that Jesus is a human-like figure who is coming from heaven. Jesus makes this claim about himself. Two, Jesus claims that he is sent by the ancient one. In other words, that he is sent by God himself. Three, is this, this human who is sent by God himself has the same authority that God himself has. He is sovereign over the entire world, all the kingdoms, everything, everyone of every tribe, tongue, and nation come under the authority of the Son of Man who has been sent. And fourth is that this person will rule forever. He has eternal rule. In other words, this person is eternal here. So when Jesus says that he is the Son of Man, like this just isn't just some like innocent uh, claim of who he is. But rather this is a very bold claim by Jesus himself. Now I just want you to ask yourself, if you were to understand the Son of Man being this type of figure, which his disciples would have? They would have known what Jesus was saying when he said that he was the Son of Man. Would you consider him just a good person? In the Gospels of John, we also have these statements. We call them the I am statements. Some of you may have heard this. Jesus claims ego me in the Greek uh, seven different times when people are asking him who he is or when he is explaining who he is. And 
Um, these I am statements are pretty big deals because when Moses goes to God, all right, and he's at the burning bush, and Moses asks God himself at the bush, he says, God, who, who should I tell the, 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 the Hebrews, and who should I tell Pharaoh? Who, who should I tell them who sent me? And God's response to them is to say, I am sent you. Tell them I am sent you, or I will be who I will be. And so when they're traveling in the desert, we know that God is the one who fed them. We, had, we have this recorded that as they're traveling through the desert and as the Hebrews are, and the Israelites are moving through and they're as, as they're being sustained by God himself, what happens is that manna from heaven comes down and this is what they eat. This is what sustains them. This is what keeps them alive here. And Jesus is actually explaining this in John 6. And Jesus then goes on to tell them here in John 6. He says, he says get this. Like, I, I, he says, I am that manna. I am that bread from heaven. In other words, I, w I am God who sent that to you. I am your sustenance. I am the thing that keeps you going. I am the thing that satisfies you. you can s I put it here in your notes. Jesus said to them right here, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, Jesus basically starts off that statement with saying, I'm the one who sent that. Uh, I was there when you were traveling through the desert. I am the one who sustained you there. Then I am God. And it, just, just look at that statement too. And again, how bold that statement is by Jesus. He, he doesn't say like, I'm the one who points you to God. I, I, I'm the one who will point you to the person who will satisfy you, who will feed your hunger, who will quench your spiritual thirst. He says, no. He says, it's me. It's in me. You see, everybody else, every other prophet, every other person, every other human being, they always have to point you to something else. Not Jesus. Jesus says, hey, you're, you're going to find it in me. I also want to point out that Jesus forgave sins. Jesus forgave people's sins. People bring people, Jesus, a paralyzed man, and Jesus heals the paralyzed man. And I want to show you kind of how this plays out because people are around and they're watching this unfold here. And um, here it is in Luke 5, 20 through 24. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man who had been brought to them and the people who had brought this paralyzed man to him, he says, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, and, and by the way, <clears throat> Jesus was a Pharisee. Like Jesus, and I mean that in a positive sense. Like Jesus was a Jewish man who believed in the resurrection of the dead. So these are like Jesus' people here. These are people who believed what Jesus did and taught what Jesus taught, who gave the Old Testament the same type of authority that Jesus gave it. And so the Pharisees now are saying to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. So they make the statement, only God can forgive sins. Here, now look at Jesus' response. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So the Pharisees say only God has the ability to forgive sins. And, and, and Jesus, by the way, he doesn't scold them and say, no, I can, God, doesn't, God isn't the only one who can forgive sins. But rather what Jesus does is he says, he, he acknowledges that basically. And he says, yeah, and I have that authority. Yeah, yeah God forgives sins. And that authority has been given to me. Like, I can do that. 
In other words, this is like a God claim that Jesus is making. Last week, I, I read um, uh, kind of a quote in an argument from a guy named Watchman Nee from his book, Normal Christianity. And, and C.S. Lewis, um, many of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis, and his book, Mere Christianity, kind of picks up on uh, the argument that Norman, nee, N- <coughs> Norman or excuse me, Watchman Nee um, had. And I, I want to read you uh, what C.S. Lewis has to say about all of this. And this is kind of going to outline the rest of our message. Here's what C.S. Lewis tries to do, as, try, says as he looks at all of this evidence. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man said the sort of, that said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Now, most people um, call this basically like C.S. Lewis's argument that Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. And, and I believe what Lewis's um, thought process here and argument is very solid. Uh, as we look at Jesus' claim to be God himself and the way in which he presented himself, Jesus has to either be a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. And so let's just explore those questions this morning. Because Jesus is certainly good, better uh, uh, than just being a good man, and he has an odd way of going about it. And so if Jesus claims to be the ruler of the entire earth and that his rule will never end, right, you have to ask this question like, is Jesus a lunatic? Is Jesus a lunatic? Now there have been several people in our world's history who have tried to conquer the world and take over the world. Right? You might consider them lunatics or madmen, um, evil, uh, power-hungry. Uh, we think of people like Hitler. We people think of people like Stalin. Perhaps you could even throw people like Alexander the Great into this category as they tried to capture vast regions of the world as they believed that they would control the entire world and their kingdoms would basically last forever here. Because this is the statement that Jesus makes when he makes the statement that he is the Son of Man. But I, I, want, us, I want us to consider um, what Jesus asked his followers to do. Because all of these men asked their followers to basically give their lives to them for the kingdom in very violent ways, in very weird, in, in, in very uh, um, evil ways of expressing themselves as they took over the entire world. Here's what Jesus, though, says to his followers um, as he is calling them to follow his rule. And he says, calling to the crowd in Mark 8, 34 and 35, and he says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So I want to show you here how Jesus, for a moment, is like 
some of the world leaders that I just spoke about. Jesus is like them in the sense, like, you have to be all in. You know, to, to be a part of those other kingdoms, you had to be all in. You had to be willing to give your life. This is what Jesus is telling his followers here. When he is saying that you're going to need to take up your cross, he's not telling them, like, following me is going to be super simple, like, everything's going to be really easy, and you can go about following me, like, in this haphazard way. But rather, he, he says, it's going to take some devotion from you. It's going to take some self-denial from you. And you're going to have to be willing to follow, follow me through thick and thin. And here's the thing. Like, we do have to go through all of the world, and I need you to be committed to me and be all in, but here's what we're doing. We're not taking swords. We're not taking spears. We're not taking our weapons out in the world, but rather we're taking a message, and that message is a gospel. And this is where Jesus is completely unlike all these other world leaders and people who believed that they were going to control the world with their followers. You see, because this, this gospel message is one of love. It's one of peace. It's one of joy. It's one that says, hey, God loves you. I love you. When Jesus is saying that you're going to have to take up your cross, Jesus is, is saying you're going to have to look at his self-giving love and you're going to have to tell people that Jesus has died for their sins and that he has risen again. And you're going to have to love God enough that your life becomes about that. And not only is your life about that message, but that this message is actually lived out in your life. Right? That people need to see it from you. And as I, I look at this, you know, I, I think, right, when we ask this question, like, is Jesus a, a lunatic here? If, if you believe that, like, laying down your life for this message makes you a lunatic, like, I, I think you could throw Jesus, like, in the category of being a lunatic. I actually think if laying your life down for a message that points people to the greatness of one man makes you a lunatic, I believe that Jesus' followers would actually be seen kind of as loony here. Because here's what happens after Jesus' death and resurrection. Like, Jesus' followers do this. Like, they, they, they believe that Jesus loved them enough to die for them. They believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, and they devoted their lives to that message. In fact, all of Jesus' disciples here, at least 11 of the men that Jesus is telling this to in this circle, literally gave their lives for this message. So is Jesus a lunatic? Were his followers lunatics? Before I answer that question, <laughs> Christians, just look up, to, up, up at me right now because this is a really convicting passage, right? If you understand what it's saying. This is a really convicting passage if you understand what it's saying. Jesus is calling us to give everything to him, to follow him, to be all in. Like, I, I wonder, I wonder, like, how often, like, when it gets difficult to follow Jesus, do we just give up, right? Like, hey, I'm all in, and I'm going to serve, and, and I'm going to give my life to Jesus, but oh, wait a second, like, I, I'm running into just a few problems here that it's getting difficult, and so we kind of just, we give up. 
But Jesus' followers just didn't do that. So is Jesus a lunatic? Were his followers lunatics? Perhaps. But here's the thing. Like, they, they were lunatics of love. Right? They, they gave everything for Jesus and sacrificed so much of themselves to help other people. I think we need people like that, right? I think the world needs more people like that. And these are very different people than the people of Hitler and Stalin and Alexander the Great and other people who believe that they would rule the world. The second question that C.S. Lewis asked that we must ask ourselves, is Jesus a liar? Is Jesus a liar? Now, if, if uh, Jesus claimed to be God and wasn't, let's just call Jesus for what, it is, for what he is, he's a liar, if, if Jesus claimed to be God and wasn't God, Jesus is a liar. Now, why do people lie? People typically lie to gain glory, to keep a particular self-image. They lie for self-promotion or maybe to cover something up. This, however, doesn't seem like Jesus, like Jesus doesn't seem um, to need people to tell him how great he is, or Jesus doesn't seem to be out there like seeking fame. What's really interesting about Jesus is <clears throat> that he performs like 36 miracles, um, and yet Jesus is never like, he's never like calling crowds into him and saying like, watch this, right? Watch me do this. People bring people to Jesus, hoping that he would heal him, heal them. But Jesus also never, like, he never heals anyone on demand. And he, he even does some very weird things, like he will, he will retreat to be by himself, to get away from the crowds, to get away from the fame and everything that's going on. In, in uh, Mark 1 here, we see Jesus being brought a leper. Now, if you are, were a leper, um, this was pretty bad news for you uh, because leprosy was eventually going to kill you. The leprosy may not kill you, but the complications from it certainly will, would. Uh, you may have wanted, want, had wanted to be dead if you were a leper because you had to live in your own colony away from your family and away from your friends. And so um, leprosy was a very bad thing to catch then, and it's not great to have now. Um, and so these people bring Jesus, this leper, who is basically terminally ill and is unable uh, to be with his friends and his family members and those whom he loved. And uh, so Jesus then is recorded here in Mark 1, 42 through 44, instantly healing the leopard man. It says, the, the, instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on, those, on his way with a stern warning. Do not tell anyone about this. Now, I don't know about you, but like, when we think of liars, again, liars are seeking glory. They're seeking credit. They're seeking for people to see how great they are, or they're trying to cover up something that they don't want anybody else to see. Now, if you're seeking glory or fame, um, if you're a typical liar here, and Jesus just did a complete miracle that completely transformed somebody's life, like, why, would, why would he not want everybody to know about this in this moment. You know, think about it, right? If you found a cure for cancer, right, you, you're about to get paid, <laughs> um, right? If you can just heal people on demand, like, you're, you're about to have people come and see you and give you praise and glory in this moment, and yet 
Jesus just wasn't all about seeking that all the time. Jesus never once, right? Jesus never once received money for doing anything that he did. Jesus just doesn't seem like a liar. Jesus has 12 men that follow him around everywhere he goes. Right? His ministry was done in public. It wasn't done in private. Right? He didn't have to have people come to a special place in which he could do miracles or in which he could heal people or where he taught. He did everything in public, and 12 men witnessed it this whole time. Now, if you were a liar, if you were going to try to cover up who you were, would you let people in close to you like that for three years to see everything that you did and everything about you? Would your ministry primarily be a ministry that is seen uh, by the public? Right? If Jesus is a liar, um, he just doesn't seem like one. Right? His, his actions, his attitudes really just don't fit the bill of a liar. And so the last question to ask ourselves here, according to C.S. Lewis, if Jesus isn't a lunatic and if he isn't a liar and he's more than just a good man, is, is Jesus Lord? I'm going to pick back up in Matthew 16, um, verse 15. Then he asked them, and he's talking to his disciples here. He says, but who do you say I am? You've told me what other people say I am, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. So Jesus asks them, who do you say I am? And I want you to see Peter's response. Here's what Peter says to Jesus. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus, the first question was, who do others say the son of man is? So all of this is leading up. Jesus recognizes himself as the Son of Man, and then he asks Peter basically this question, who do others say I am? And Peter's response is, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. In other words, Peter here, he is acknowledging that he believes that Jesus is the Son of Man. In other words, that G by saying Messiah, he is saying, Jesus, you are the ultimate Messiah figure. I believe that you are both God and man who has come from heaven to rule the entire earth, and everything belongs to you. By this statement, Peter is calling Jesus Lord. Jesus here then responds by affirming Peter's confession. Jesus says, yes, that is true. God has revealed this to you. And then he says something about Peter's confession. Two things I want to point out to you here. First is that this confession makes you a part of the church. He says, Peter, upon you, upon this confession that you have just made, I am going to build my church. Now, church in the Greek means ecclesia, all right? That's the word for it. That's not what it means. But what it means is called out people. Called out people who are set out then, or are called out, excuse me, by this confession. So the church is made up of people who confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Son of Man here. Jesus says, all of those who follow me are going to be anchored in this very confession. 
Not that Jesus is a good man. Not that Jesus is just some revolutionary. Not that Jesus is just some interesting philosophical teacher. But rather, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That Jesus himself is Lord. That is what makes you a part of the church, Jesus is saying here. You, you following me? All right, yeah, okay, good. Um, so this next statement is, is going to be um, as bold as that one here. To be a follower of Jesus. In other words, to be a Christian. I started off by saying, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people would probably claim when you ask them um, about Jesus and what it means to be a Christian is to kind of believe or um, acknowledge that Jesus was a good man and kind of stop there. What Jesus is saying here, though, is that being a Christian means that you make this very confession. And so you just need to think about this. Like, if, if you can't make this confession that Jesus is Lord, right? What Jesus is saying here is that you are not a follower of me. Jesus is challenging the idea that you can believe that he is just a prophet, that you can believe that he is just a good man, that you can believe that he is just someone who points to God. And Jesus is saying that I am God. And to be a Christian, you too must confess this. This is what he credits Peter with here. And this is what I want to remind all of you this morning as you have come here to worship Jesus and to follow him, that he is your Lord. I want to assure all of you this morning, which is giving you a a little more proof, right, of of why um, I believe this is true. I believe this is true because we have the church, because we have people who are called out to follow Jesus. I mean, think about it. Jesus was died and put on a cross here. If Jesus, if, if Jesus was going to rule forever, and if these people thought Jesus was going to rule forever, and yet he died on a cross, all of their hope is gone at that point. Jesus, how are you going to rule on a cross when you're dead and put in a grave? Your kingdom is over. But here's the thing, is that Jesus rose from the dead, and the people saw that, his followers saw that, and they believed that. And so they, they were defeated with Jesus on the cross with the death of Jesus. But after he rose from the, from the grave, they had a message to spread, the gospel message that Jesus, the cross was God's placement of Jesus on the cross to sacrifice for our sins, for forgiveness. And the resurrection was vindication that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is God from heaven and that he ascended back into heaven and that he is ruling and reigning. And we have this message to be taking out to everyone else. His disciples all believed this was true as they witnessed Jesus' resurrection. And so they started the church and they gave their lives for the, for the church for this reason here. Jesus asks the people in front of him, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is this morning? 
One of the beautiful things about Jesus is that we all can have different answers. But here's what Jesus believes about you. He believes that you're worthy enough to die for. Jesus loves you that much. He believes that you are worth his life. He believes that you are worth pain and suffering. Jesus came to show you that you are not without hope in this life. That the promise of the resurrection is real. That whatever you're going through, right, it's going to come to an end. And God can save you from that and remove you out of that. He's going to, he can do that now and he can do that in the future. Who do you believe Jesus is? Are you ready to call him Lord? Are you ready to call him the Messiah, the Son of God? And I'm going to ask the ladies to come back up here because um, we're just going to sing this last song, Jesus, I Come. And so uh, you can use it as your come to Jesus moment. Right? For some of us, this just means we, just, we might need to reflect on this idea, like are we treating Jesus as Lord? Do all of our lives belong to him or do we give him just kind of parts of our lives? Right? Do, do we believe that he's more than a prophet, that he's more than just a good teacher, but rather that he's our Savior, that he's your Lord. Let's pray. Hey, Father, this morning we give you thanks. We give you thanks because you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, and then he rose again on the third day. Let us not forget that that is the message that we carry with us in our hearts. Father, um, let us not reduce Jesus Uh, to something or someone that he's not. But rather, let us lift him high this morning as our Lord and Savior. Father, there may be some here this morning, um, and they're just kind of contemplating on who Jesus is, and that's okay. Uh, You know, they may not be convinced that you are our Lord or worth worshiping. Um, And I, I just pray, Father, that they continue on their journey of discovering who you are if they're not ready to give their lives to you. But one of the things that we also had seen in this text when Peter himself says that Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that Peter did not come up with that answer on his own. But Jesus, you you said to him, you said, God revealed that to you. And so this morning, I pray, Father, that just by the power of the Holy Spirit that you reveal yourself to somebody in this room, that they are ready to make a decision of confession of faith that Jesus is Lord. Might they give their whole lives to you? Might they pick up their cross and follow you? Might those of us who have set down our crosses and have grown weary pick them back up and turn back to you? We pray that we come to you this morning, Jesus, with all that we are and all that we have. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.